Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant. Hello, this is Cheryl Grant, Director of Social Networking and Badge Research for Haystack. Today we're talking with Katie Salen Teckenbosch about connected learning, specifically how it is embodied in the work she's doing with the Institute of Play. Hi, Katie. Hi, Cheryl. Nice to be here. Thanks. Katie is a professor in the DePaul University College of Computing and Digital Media. She's also the executive director of Institute of Play, a nonprofit learning design studio that bases its work on the principles of games and play. In 2009, Katie helped design and launch Quest to Learn, a public school in New York City where the curriculum is inspired by game design strategies. So Katie, uh, there's a great short film of you talking about the need for young people to experience play while learning. Can you expand a bit on the importance of play within the vision of connected learning? Sure. So one of the reasons that um, our work really centers around uh, play is that it, it um, mimics and provides a space for all kinds of qualities that we know are really important for kids when they're learning. Um, particularly learning in the 21st century. So one of those qualities is that it, cr it cr creates a space for kids to kind of fail, fail often, and fail in ways that are really productive. Um, so often school um, can be a space where failure is a really ne a negative thing. You have a chance to try something once. If you don't do well on it, you get a bad grade, and then you are kind of turned off forever going forward, either around that subject matter or from wanting to try again. Play is a space that is all about failure, um, and it's a really creative space where you have a chance to test out the limits of things, try out stuff. You fail, yeah, no problem. You know, what did I learn from that thing that just didn't work? How can I change it? How can I modify it to... Um, you know, try something different to try to get towards a goal that I'm reaching. So that, that space of um, kind of productive failure is one really great quality of play. Um, another is that, you know, play at its heart is really about engagement and self-expression. And one of the things that Connected Learning is really interested in cultivating, and one reason that it's looked to new media as a kind of um, venue for that, is that there is a real um, lack of engagement by a lot of kids um, in, in their own learning. Um, and play by its very definition is something kids want to do um, because it's just it's deeply engaging and it provides a space for, um, for expression, for ideas. Um, again, as I said, for try, trying new things out, um, often doing things that you've never tried before. So it begins to cultivate a kind of disposition for how one might approach the world, how one might approach their own learning um, that we find to be really, really productive. Um, and then the last thing is that we talk about play sometimes as this kind of strong attractor of community. Um, and even though people often play alone, um, they also most often, even if they start playing alone, will pull other people into that kind of space of play. And so the, the power of community, of, of kids um, and adults learning together, um, operating around a kind of shared sense of purpose, all of that is really manifest um, with, within a space of play. And so it must be hard to answer this, but what is your favorite part about your work at, at the Institute of Play? Well, so, you know, f for me, I think the, um, 
opportunity that we have to work with people is really the most the most powerful dimension of our work. Um, so often when people think about, oh, here's an organization that does work with games and play, they might think that what we focus on is kind of product, that we make games, that the focus is on um, yeah, technology that we build or games that we make or play experiences that we create. Um, but our focus is really on people. Um, we're interested, you know, in starting the school, the, the idea was, well, could we actually design an incredibly robust learning community? Um, and, you know, and, and in doing that work, it's all about working with young people. It's all about working with teachers, with school leaders, with the district, with parents. Um, and what's so exciting about that work is that you see real transformation in people um, as they kind of come into the work. They begin to have experiences where they see the potential um, of, a, of a different way of learning, a different way of thinking about classrooms, um, a different way of thinking about a role of a teacher. Um, so for me, that's the most uh, the most exciting thing because um, it's just fantastic to you know to be with people doing this work. I love that 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 the focus is on people. That that's great to hear. Um, maybe you can you can take this uh, vision that you just painted for us and and give us a quick picture. It's the year 2020. An institute of play has been wildly successful. How how has the world changed because of it? Yeah. So one thing is that we've hopefully graduated um, a ton of young people who are um, experiencing and engaging with the world in really different ways than maybe they are today. They're fully in, they're fully empowered citizens. They're deeply engaged civically. Um, they have a strong kind of social innovation, entrepreneurial spirit, a kind of willingness to tackle complex problems. Um, they are seeking out opportunities that they're interested in, uh, bringing p other people along along the way, um, are part of a huge number of communities that are um, kind of doing interesting things, again, around, around their interests and passions. So hopefully we will have seen, um, you know, a kind of generation of kids move into that space. I also think we would love to see a real change in um, what I often call mental models that people have in their heads around the kind of values of games, games and play. Um, so today, kids have no problem talking to you about how, um, how games are meaningful to them, what they learn in, in playing games, why play matters. Um, but adults still get stuck um, a little bit in putting play or games in the bucket of, oh, that's the thing you would do in your spare time. Oh, it's just entertainment. Oh, that's very frivolous. It doesn't really count. Um, and this, this, uh, this sort of mental model also kind of persists with some teachers. Um, there's a ton of teachers that are really open to the ideas, but there's still um, a group of educators that would put play um, in a bucket of, oh, that happens, you know, during this period of the day, which tends to be recess. Um, and so, you know, in 2020, we would love to have just changed that mindset that play and games are just seen as a natural part of the way that we learn. Um, and in fact, we've radically changed the way that we approach um, working with young people in the classroom. Um, we think about the classroom as, as sort of any place, any time. It's not just the school is a place where kids are learning. Um, and that the, you know, again, the vision of connected learning is really, really thriving with play as a core component of it. So upgrading the mental models is important. And when we talk about the need to give education an upgrade and to bring it out of the 20th century and into the 21st, it seems like it's getting an, an increasing amount of attention these days. What, in your opinion, are some of the biggest challenges when it comes to making this 21st century update? 
Yeah, so I still, you know, the, the mental model pieces, I still, I still think is a, is a big one. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges in working with adults, um, I mean, I also think with kids, but because adults have a longer history, is that you often rely on the experiences that you have had in your own life as a model for how things should be. So even though there's a lot of parents out there and a lot of educators that say, oh, education really needs to change, for a lot of those folks, even if they didn't enjoy school, it didn't not serve them well, right? They, they actually ended up in places where they had jobs. They've been able to kind of do what they want to do. So it's very hard for them to say, oh, well, let's, um, we need, really need to change that model because it's actually, um, even though it worked for me, it maybe worked for me at a time when there were a whole set of kind of cultural, socio-technical conditions, economic conditions that made that possible, where today actually that model just, that, that model doesn't work. Um, so it actually takes a lot um, to get people to get over the idea. One is that school should not be fun. That's a, that's a really big one. People have this thing like, well, no, school should be hard. If, if kids like school, there's, you know, there's something wrong. You, know, you have to put your nose to the grindstone, and that, that's actually how you learn. Um, so those attitudes really um, are, are really difficult to overcome. Um, and we've also actually seen it in some of the young people that we've been working with. Um, where uh, we had a group of um, sixth and seventh graders come into a new program of ours. They they came from very traditional schools, um, schools where um, you know most of the instruction was direct instruction. Kids really didn't have a voice in the classroom. Uh, you know most of the work uh, happened by kind of um, reading a textbook, then taking a quiz about it. Um, and when we when we began to work with them around these experiences where they were very the experiences were really production centered. Um, kids were having a chance to uh, test the limits of things, um, in some sense challenge authority, like really press the instructors on well, what, it, you know, is this the right way to do this? Can we do it this way? Um, there was a big play element to it. They said, oh, well, you know, I don't, you know, this isn't learning. Um, and even though the educators could talk to them and point to actual, you know, robust learning outcomes and all those experiences, for the kids, because it felt really, really different than what they'd been trained to believe school looked like, they were having a really hard time making the connection of like, oh, actually, this is what school could be. This is what learning could be like all the time, not just, you know, in the free time when I'm, you know, on Minecraft doing, you know, building my worlds. Um, so the mental model piece is a big one. You know, the second one, um, which a lot of folks um, have talked about, is is just the approach to assessment that we have, um, not just in this country, but, you know, in, in a lot of um, in a lot of countries, and so you can you can uh, argue all you want about a kind of change in pedagogy, a change in kinds of learning outcomes that you want to see, but if you don't have ways of assessing those, ways of really being able to prove that a young person has learned the things that you're claiming that they're that they're learning, that pedagogical model is always going to snap back to the the things that are really easy to measure. So when we talk about um, connected learning, really embracing a lot of the 21st century skills. Things around kind of empathy, collaboration, complex problem solving, model-based reasoning. Um, we don't yet have fantastic assessments for those types of skills because they're not easily measured on more traditional um, forms of assessment. So you can't actually measure those things on a, um, a multiple choice test or even an essay, an essay question. Um, so the uh, 
challenge, and there's lots of people taking this up, is to begin to understand what new forms of assessment might look like for the types of outcomes that connected learning is arguing for. Um, so those are the two, um, for us, we found in our work, the kind of mental model piece and then the assessment piece are two of the biggest challenges that we've run across. Right, thank you. Um, uh, and what you were saying earlier about mental models made me think about the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic, which is what most people our generation think about as school. And one way connected learning is being introduced to people is to say it builds on those education basics, the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, by introducing mm -hmm. a fourth R, which is relevance, making learning in the classroom relevant to life outside it. Why do you feel this need for relevance is so important for youth? Yeah, so we, we talk, in our work, we talk about relevance um, with this phrase we call a need to know. Um, and for us, the, this term really comes from, from the way that games work, which is they drop you into a complex problem space where um, you're presented with something um, that's really intriguing, a, a problem that you kind of want to overcome, and you suddenly have a need to know um, how to learn all kinds of stuff that the game is going to teach you. Um, and they may be hard things like learning how to navigate complex 3D space or how to um, uh, uh, collaborate with a number of other um, team members to kind of overcome a, a, a boss in the game. Um, and if in the beginning the game just said, oh, you need to actually learn how to kind of navigate 3D space, or you have to learn something about physics and momentum um, and those kinds of things, you probably wouldn't be so interested in doing that because it's not relevant. It's like, well, I don't have a need to use that. Um, and so we always talk when we're working with our educators, the very first thing we ask them once they've, they've said, well, this is really the, the types of standards um, and competencies and skills that our kids need to learn, we say, well, what's the need to know that you're going to create in that young person that they're going to be really compelled to want to learn this content or learn those skills? Um, and so that's one way that we, that we talk about relevancy. The second is that we really feel like um, this narrative that kids are kind of being incubated <laughs> until they graduate um, to then join the real world and kind of contribute knowledge um, is a really not a good narrative. So we actually think kids today, even young kids, should have a chance to contribute to kind of real world stuff that's happening in the world. Um, and so in, in the work that we do, we have lots of feedback loops between things happening in school, um, real world organizations, uh, real world knowledge problems that kids can work on with experts working in those fields, um, so that there is this sense that, oh, the learning that I'm doing now isn't going to have relevance in 10 or 15 years when I graduate, but it's actually relevant now. Um, there are people working on these problems. There are organizations interested in this issue, and actually I can contribute to the knowledge and the thinking and the work around those problems. Um, so that's a kind of second way that we think about relevancy in our work. And is that how connected learning related projects such as Quest to Learn schools, is that how they're making relevant what you've just described? Yeah, so in, so in the Quest schools, um, yeah, we have lots of structures that create those the feedback loops between things in school and, and things outside of the school, and also positioning kids as um, contributors, you know, to society and to um, spaces of knowledge um, now, rather than kind of waiting, waiting later. Yeah. 
And connected learning encourages um, leveraging the, the tools of the digital age, the internet, the social media, et cetera, et cetera, to enhance education and learning. How would you characterize the possibilities of using modern technology for learning? And how would you address concerns about youth spending too much time with digital media? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things is that, um, you know, in the, in the connected learning, the, the principles really, really talk about this. But one thing that technology today, particularly online technology allows is for kids to get connected to communities of people that share an interest, that share a purpose, um, that can be supportive of them around learning how to go deeper and deeper into that interest. Um, so that's one thing that they do really well. Digital media also tend to be fantastic tools for, for um Kids getting, a, again, a chance to kind of fail often, to kind of mess around, to try things out. Um, you know, digital tools let you, yeah, mess around, try stuff out um, in really non-permanent ways. Um, and that can be that can be really useful. Um, just the again, the, and this is really uh, common, uh, sort of common observation, but just like the access to knowledge that is available um, via technology is something that um, obviously can really help connected learning in its agenda. Um, another th reason that we think it's important for kids to have experience with online tools, whether it's social media tools like Facebook or Twitter or um, kind of content-based tools, um, is that it is a world where um, working with digital tools is a fundamental way to participate, both civically, but also in, again, the kind of knowledge generation of the culture. Um, and so if kids don't have experience learning how to use digital tools <laughs> learning how to participate in online communities, learning how to kind of manage all of the risks around social media, um, then they're going to kind of go out into, into a world very unprepared to deal with the reality of, of digital stuff. So it's not as if, if you don't let your kids have access to it, that they're that the world there that there is a world that exists where digital media isn't present, right? So it it is part of the world. Um, so why would we not do everything we can to help kids in very purposeful ways understand the kind of best uses, the most relevant uses, the smartest uses um, of digital tools and different kinds of, of technology? Um, in terms of just time spent with digital media, um, it's always a really tricky question because it's very hard to make a blanket generalization about like how much any particular kid should be spending time with any particular tool. Um, you know, if, if 50 years ago, we didn't hear tons of complaints about kids spending too much time reading books. Um, it's only when the, the kind of rise of television where suddenly it was like, oh, they're spending too much time doing that wasteful activity. Um, so when the concerns around time spent on digital media come up, it really, again, goes back to that the mental model um, that it's a wasteful use of time. Um, so if you begin to, to reframe that to say of, well, when my child is spending time with digital media, I want to make sure that it's in a purposeful way, right? And that, that definition of purposeful can, can, be very, can be very broad. So it can be around the type of content kids are dealing with. It could be around, again, that they're getting practice um, with using certain kinds of tools. It could be that they're giving a chance to kind of experiment, to test limits. It could be that they're having access to all different kinds of knowledge. Um, and so it's very much about understanding the kind of when and why and the for what purpose um, that digital tools are being employed um, that can kind of help answer that question. And do you, do you have a good um, or a favorite connected learning story about youth using digital media in this way, a young person, an educator, or, or even yourself? 
Well, so we have a, um, you know, a, a kind of classic story of a, a young person from Quest to Learn that enrolled as a sixth grader when the school opened um, and was a young person that um, didn't have a ton of experience with technology, was not a big gamer, um, wasn't quite sure what his interests were. Um, but through the, the time spent at the school, he was given an opportunity to, you know, explore a bunch of interests. He had a chance to connect to one of our game designers um, that's embedded in the school that, that is a, has a background in photography. Um, this young person began to work with the, with the game designer to learn photography, became very intrigued with that. Through some of his other courses, had a chance to start to interact with community groups, um, local to New York, um, became very interested in kind of social activism and thinking about how, um, uh, you know, how so social media tools provide a way for multiple people to have a voice. Um, and, you know, and by the time this young person was in ninth grade, he developed these really strong photography skills. He was taking portraits of um, students in the school. He began to take portraits of people in the community. Um, he became interested in a guy um, who ran a newsstand in Astor, Astor Place um, in New York, a guy who'd been there for many, many years that was being told by the city that he had to close down um, his newsstand for, for, a re for some reason. Um, and um, Charles, who was a young person, became um, incensed in a way that this guy had been there for years. Um, he should have a chance to like keep his newsstand. So then he started a kind of online campaign, um, soliciting people's support to help this guy keep his um, keep his stand. He was taking photographs that he was using as part of the campaign. Um, and so in the end, the the guy ended up being able to keep his newsstand. Um, not a direct relationship potentially to what Charles did, but it certainly contributed um, in a way. And suddenly we have this ninth grader who has found a, an interest that he's really passionate about. He's found a whole set of communities of people that are interested in also pursuing that interest in and helping him get better. Um, and he's civically engaged in a way where that interest is becoming relevant. Um, and so he's a great, um, a very clear case in a way of, of the ways in which connected learning can really help foster um, a kind of transformation of a child um, into a type of, um, again, a type of person who we see contributing to the world today, um, who's contributing to his community at the school, who um, now has a real sense and has experienced a sense of really getting better at something that he cares about. Um, and the goal is that he can then apply that experience to learning of other things as he goes through life and becomes interested in other types of things. Oh, that is such a great story. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. So I, I'm not, I don't know if you have a, a favorite connected learning principle, but maybe there's one that excites you most. And, and if there is one, why does it excite you so much? Well, so I'm um, really interested in the openly networked um, principle, partially because on its surface it feels really technical which pushes me away. I think, oh, that's just about the technology. Um, but when you start to dig deeper, to me what Openly Networked really is about is finding ways for communities to connect to each other. So this goes back to my earlier point about the thing that I love about working at the Institute is working with people. 
Uh, and what openly networked means to me is beginning to really understand how we can create the conditions by which more people can easily connect not only to knowledge, but to other people. Um, and, and again, in ways that they can pursue the things that they're interested in um, and pursue the kind of changes that they want to see in the world. So I love that principle because it feels on its surface like it's a kind of formal principle, um, again, about technology. Um, but ultimately, to me, what it's about is people um, and about the, the strength of people coming together and finding ways to make those connections um, seamless so that more people have a chance to do more things together. I, I really appreciate how you have put a lot of the emphasis of connected learning on people. That That's how I think of it as well. And uh, thank you so much. I had such a great conversation hearing about your your perceptions and your experiences with connected learning. Um, I also wanted to give you an opportunity if you have any upcoming events or projects or publications you like to let people know about. Yeah, so we have um... – an event coming up at the Games for Change um, Festival that's happening in April in New York. It's called the Games for Change Public Arcade. That's part of the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, it's happening Saturday, April 26th. Um, and so it's a day of there's a, a festival about games associated now with the Tribeca Film Festival. But we'll have a booth there. People can stop by um, and kind of learn more about our work and also really get a, have, have a chance to experience some of the, our ideas about play. And if people want to follow your work or want to find you on Twitter, where would they go to do that? Yeah, so Twitter, the um, handle is Katie at Play. And you can always uh, read all about our work at www.instituteofplay.org. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Katie. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at CLAlliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of learning.